Clovis, building a healthy life together. What's up, everybody? Justin Nall here with another episode of the Perfect Paleo Podcast. My guest today is a dear friend and someone that I just feel so fortunate to have crossed paths with. This is a man who played a huge role in my personal health and wellness transformation and in the creation of Clovis itself. If you have checked out my personal story on YouTube or on the blog or any of the places that I've posted about this, then you know that years ago when I first started down this little rabbit hole of ancestral diets slash paleo type eating or eating the way our ancestors did, I was eventually led to the work of CJ Hunt. And it's kind of funny, this actually happened out of sheer frustration because I was getting different little pieces of advice here and there that were pointing me in the direction of paleo, though I didn't really know it at the time. And the data I was getting from the paleo world was so conflicting with what I was doing at the time, this kind of bodybuilding, traditional high-carb food pyramid, low-fat type stuff that I was just so confused and annoyed with lack of results that one day I finally just Googled the words, what is the perfect human diet? And the rest, as they say, is history because this was way back in 2013 and CJ had released his documentary film, The Perfect Human Diet. So on a whim, I sucked it up. I bought this film on iTunes and streamed it to my big screen TV and just sat there mesmerized through the entire film. It made more sense to me than any piece of nutritional literature or information I had ever consumed. It was my ultimate light bulb moment. And I talked about this a lot on the podcast and AMAs and such that I just cannot recommend this film enough. Go back and watch it. It's available on a bunch of different platforms, including Amazon Prime Video and it's a must-watch, in my opinion, just examining anthropological evidence as to why we need to take a more ancestral approach to our nutrition here in America in particular, where we're just so out of touch with where we actually came from as a species. It's insane. We need to stop this spread, this epidemic of metabolic disease, and taking a more ancestral approach is the answer. I truly believe that this is irrefutable at this point. You are going to learn a ton in this episode. You're going to hear about CJ's personal story, which is truly unbelievable. It's it's really just an astonishing story of what happened to him as a young man, and he's carried the information with him into adulthood, and he's just a beautiful person. He cares deeply about people and their nutrition and their health and well-being. He's passionate about these topics. He believes in them as strongly as I do, and I remember meeting him for the first time and just being completely blown away. I just told him that he had changed the the entire trajectory of my family's health, really. I mean, when I think about CJ Hunt, I think about the transformation of the entire Nalt family, the transformation of my brain and how I viewed nutrition in the world and the implications that that had with my family when my niece Savannah was born disabled and we understood the importance of nutrition and things like the ketogenic diet for the treatment of seizures in infants. It just... I really don't think that I would have been as well prepared for these really difficult moments in life had I not had this awakening that CJ's film, The Perfect Human Diet, gave me. So dad and I, Papa Nall, actually met CJ together 
at Paleo FX over three years ago now, and it was sort of this emotional moment, and I don't know what I expected, but it was just one of those moments where he was just so normal. <laughs> and it's so interesting to me, almost almost like it was unbelievable to me that he didn't know who I was and that he had changed my whole family and had never heard of the Nault family. It's so astonishing. We just put these people on this different level, almost this celebrity type status. And I met him and gave him a hug and he was a beautiful man and he was sweet to my dad and I and he just was genuinely thankful that we shared our story with him and He's, he's just an amazing person. That's all there is to it. I'm, I'm just going to ramble about CJ now in this intro, so sorry about that. Um, but I'm certainly going to tell you a lot more about CJ and his background and his bio as well. We also talk about CJ's new and very exciting project, another documentary film in the style of investigative journalism where CJ sets out to dispel the lies of vegan propaganda, this idea that somehow switching the world to a vegan diet will help the environment or prolong life or any other ridiculous claim that they make that is just completely untrue and all of these statistics that are fabricated or flat out made up CJ touches on a lot of that and this second film is called The Perfect Human Diet 2 Dispelling the Lies. Full disclosure, uh, Clovis is backing this film. I have made a substantial financial contribution to the production of The Perfect Human Diet 2, and I could not be more proud of that fact, and you'll see that on the fundraising page that I will share with you in the show notes for this episode, and I would love to see you come on board as part of this crowdfunding effort to get this documentary film made. I wholeheartedly believe in CJ Hunt as a person and in the work that he is doing to spread accurate information across this country that so desperately needs it right now. So a bit more about CJ. CJ Hunt is the writer, producer, and host of the breakout film hit The Perfect Human Diet, number one independent film, number one documentary film, top 10 movie, iTunes USA and Canada, and number one Amazon video on demand, January 2013 graduating summa cum laude in electronic communication arts with a bachelor's in radio tv from sfsu 2007 cj has had a career that spanned motocross racing and theme park announcer to over 20 years in broadcasting with voiceovers tv host television and movie actor and author of three books on diet and nutrition you can learn everything you need to learn about C.J. Hunt and about The Perfect Human Diet 1 and his new film, The Perfect Human Diet 2, Dispelling the Lies, at his website. That is C.J. Hunt Reports, R-E-P-O-R-T-S, cjhuntreports.com. You can also find C.J. on Twitter, at C.J. Hunt Reports, and the very same handle on Instagram, at C.J. Hunt Reports. And as I said earlier, I'm going to share a direct link for you to donate to this new film project, The Perfect Human Diet 2, Dispelling the Lies, and I really, really hope you will consider doing that. Please help us get this message out. You will find that link in the show notes for this episode. Okay, we're going to jump in. But first, as always, this episode is brought to you by my company, Clovis. I am the founder and CEO of Clovis, and I am in the business of transforming people's lives. And I have recently announced my new membership platform that I am launching, and you can find out more about that at imclovis.com start. 
I am a certified nutritional therapist, a specialist in sports nutrition, and a specialist in fitness nutrition. And you can work with me one-on-one. I will also give you full-blown access to everything that my members-only website has to offer. You can get that for free for seven days at iamclovis.com slash start. And you can also see some incredible transformational testimonies from people at that same website. And you can make the decision for yourself if you want to jump in and work with me on your personal health and wellness transformation. If you're not quite ready for a custom nutrition plan and you want to check out my line of paleo-friendly nutritional powders, The Perfect Paleo Powder, you can do so at iamclovis.com. Check out The Perfect Paleo Powder and use promo code Perfect podcast, all one word, perfect podcast at checkout for 10% off your entire first order. The Perfect Paleo Powder is literally the only shake you will ever need. It is a meal replacement, a protein supplement, a green superfood multivitamin, a probiotic, a prebiotic, an antioxidant, and anti-inflammatory all in one. It is the only product of its kind and it is the best all-around nutritional powder on the market today hands down. Go check out the ingredients and see for yourself at iamclovis.com. Don't forget to use promo code PERFECTPODCAST for 10% off. All right, let's jump into this amazing conversation with my good friend, CJ Hunt. Enjoy. What's up, everybody? Justin Nault here with another episode of the Perfect Paleo Podcast. And I could not be more excited because today I have a man on the show that has probably influenced and inspired me more than any other person in this entire crazy ancestral health and wellness slash paleo space that we both operate in. Uh, Please welcome to the show, CJ Hunt, the writer, producer, and host of the number one film, The Perfect Human Diet. CJ, thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing today? You bet, Justin. Thanks for having me. You are very welcome. So I want to jump right in and just take people back because you probably have the most traumatic and what I would call impactful personal transformation story that I think I've ever heard. And it started when you were quite young. So let's just take people back um, and let them know how this all started for you. What was the real kicker that got you to look into this nutrition? Well, it all started really in 1978. I was 24 years old and I was a dirt bike racer in motocross, what was considered one of the most uh, intense endurance sports in the world at the time. uh, Forwards on soccer teams were the only ones that were considered maybe more fit. And and I got injured riding somebody else's bike because I didn't want to miss a race and my bike was down. And while I was recovering from that, I went jogging at Beverly Hills High School on Memorial Day 1978, and I went a lap and a half and promptly dropped dead. So... Um, luckily enough, there was an anesthesiologist that showed up to go jogging about that same time and uh, came over and started CPR. And about eight to 10 minutes later, from what they tell me, the ambulance arrived and they started a lidocaine drip and they jump started me, you know, with the electric paddles like you see on TV. And uh, a couple of times, and they loaded me into the ambulance and took me to UCLA Medical Center, uh, the fourth floor cardiac care division, which was the intensive care. And I emerged 10 days later, uh, being told that I had, an, at that time, was an unusual and rare heart birth defect, and that there was really nothing they could do for it but give me drugs that would suppress that, hopefully, beta blockers. And um, it kind of, it's, it becomes good luck and farewell, <laughs> you know? Oh, oh, yes. And you have over a 50% chance of dying in the next few years. So, wow. Yeah. 
so so anyway, so that's really what started it and launched my quest into my own health and well-being. Um, you know, and I did everything. I went down to the, the Bodhi Tree bookstore because it was before the internet and read everybody's books and, you know, fasting and vegetarianism and, and uh, fruitarianism and, um, you know, all of that good stuff. And of course, I tried everything over the course of five years. And, um, um, but ultimately just, uh, I mean, the main thing that came out of it is I had to take self-responsibility because the drugs made me feel horrible. I had to get off the drugs, no matter what the risk was. My mom came and lived with me for a while and followed me in her car when I would try to go jogging because I said, well, if, if I make it past the first three minutes, then I'm <laughs> unlikely to go down again. Yeah. I don't know if it was true, but, uh, <laughs> I didn't go down, so that was good. And this was before pacemakers and before uh, defibrillators and all the kind of fancy things we have now. Sure. So. And at 24 years old, I'd imagine that that is just absurdly rare. Like, it just makes no sense when you hear it. Well, and particularly back then, I think, because I, in uh, media-wise, I think people in general were more innocent because we didn't have all these resources and stuff that we have now. And that for that to happen when you're 24 at an age where most people feel invincible right to all of a sudden find out well they just pulled me back from being dead really yeah. <laughs> so that yeah it it really rattles you you know and, and what what to do and where to go from there it, it was pretty scary yeah i'd imagine and 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 the good news for us <laughs> for the viewers <laughs> and the documentary film watchers is that it puts you on a path of like you said exploring all these different approaches. And I've talked about that a lot in some previous episodes and the Ask Me Anything videos I do where I talk about the different camps, vegan, vegetarian, paleo, paleo carnivore, keto, all that, right? And I, I just want to, I knew I was going to have to jump into this right from the get-go because I need people to understand what you have done for me personally and what you have done for them, the my Clovis clients, without them even realizing it. And what struck me about your film was, and particularly now that I know you so well and I know how deep you've gone in all these different approaches, is you attacked this project with just zero dogma. And you went into it with anthropological data. And that's what really blew my mind because by the time I found you, so to give listeners a, a quick backstory of this, um, I found The Perfect Human Diet in 2013, shortly after it was released. And it was just out of sheer frustration. I had been a gym addict working out two hours a day, six days a week, eating all the healthy whole grains for 10 years. I had been hooked on ephedrine and hydroxy cut and everything you could think of and was still almost 30% body fat. And I had this girlfriend at the time who could eat chocolate sundaes all day and have six pack abs and never work out. And I was like, this, this is not fair. It cannot be this way. So I literally grabbed my computer. I went to Google. And I typed in the words, what is the perfect human diet? And boom, you had just released this thing maybe a few months prior. And I watched it and it was the ultimate light bulb moment for me that sparked just endless research. It made my decision to go back to school, to get credentialed, which was crazy because the credentials I got, I had to learn inaccurate information, but that's a whole different thing. But it really sparked this, this my own journey of the last five to six years of learning as much as I could. And the crazy part about that was right around the same time that I was back in school and learning nutrition and all these things. As you now know, my niece was born 
with a, a rare seizure disorder called KCNQ2. She was having 300 plus seizures a day. And it, she's one of 96 cases in the world. Her life expectancy was less than three years. And what really happened in that moment was I realized that if I didn't have the baseline knowledge that I really got from the perfect human diet and what that led me to look into, I would have been and my family would have been at the complete mercy of mainstream medical. I would not have been able to look at her ketogenic baby formula and realize that it was made of nothing other than what you would call non-human foods. It was just poison. And they're injecting it into her stomach through a feeding tube. We, wouldn't have, we would have just been at the complete mercy of mainstream medical. So it's just crazy how the universe works that I find your work and it inspires me to go back to school. And then I see this horrific baby formula, which led me to create the perfect paleo powder. And here we are. So I had to get that rant out of the way. Long story <laughs> short, if you are a fan of Clovis, if you are a fan of mine, you by default have to be a massive fan of CJ Hunt. So CJ, I just want to say thank you again. And I need to get that out of the way right from the beginning of the episode. <laughs> well, you know, thank you. Thanks so much, you know, and, and nicely enough, uh, thanks to my digital distributor and people like you that it's, you know, anywhere in the world you have listeners, it's subtitled in 13 different languages and they can get it and it's probably not very expensive because <laughs> right. i know my checks aren't very much so it's, <laughs> but yeah so so yeah it, it's it's interesting and I'm, I'm really grateful that it's turned out to help people in ways i could have never imagined and set them on different paths and, and different courses you know it's a emails and things i get because i you know as a journalist mm. you know i used to be in regular news um and it was just bad news everything you've ever heard well, now it's if it's fake, it bleeds. But if it bleeds, it bleeds was the old thing. So if mm -hmm. it was really horrific, it was a traffic accident that grabbed eyeballs. Yeah. And um, you know, I've always been driven to try to find something more helpful, you know, and something that can make our lives better. And as part of you know my professional journey is I, <laughs> I use that word. I use the word I promised I would never use because everyone uses it. <laughs> um, that. Uh, God, all, all because of Oprah. So it, you know, <laughs> she started it. Never mind. I'll stop there. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So so during the course of my work life and stuff, it, I became a journalist and I you know, was doing television and news and things like that. And because of my own health, I was observing the health of what was going on nationally and internationally and the growth of the obesity epidemic. Because when I was a kid, I was chubby, so I was worried about the whole obesity stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, and the growth of diet-related chronic disease. And what I found flabbergasting is people kept going back to the same sources to get answers from which they could not get any answers or never got any answers before or were driving the problem. Right. Not providing any kind of solution. So, yeah, when I went in to do the movie, it was kind of like, well, it, is there a perfect human diet? Hmm. What, you know, I was in search of the perfect human diet. And that was also the original title, just too long. And uh, um, in the course of this, I came across stuff I never expected to find, you know, just like I'm sure your, your listeners learning from you, then they go out and they research things and they go, wow, I never expected to learn this. And um, in fact, with every uh, interview that I did from the first two, the, at the end of the interview, the interviewee would volunteer, well, you know who you need to go talk to is... And that would be followed by something. And that um, actually led the search to Europe. People who have not seen the movie and whatnot, we end up going 
on a, a global search for the, the, these answers. We end up in the south of France at a dig site of Neanderthals and human bones from 60,000 years ago. We end up in um, the Max Planck Institute in Leipzig, Germany, where they have a radio isotope. Uh, radioisotopic analysis of a collagen extracted from bones, and it can be humans and animals or Neanderthals and all that stuff from before agriculture and after agriculture. And now the science exists where we can tell you literally exactly what they ate. Absolutely. Maybe not down to the spoonful, but we can tell you what the source was. And they're working on getting down to the spoonful. They're, they really are. It's the, really fascinating. And so that answers questions that I never expected to find, but it, it also, um, there's within the field of nutrition in the field of what you do and others are trying to do in an effort to help people. Uh, there's been a default back to mostly plants, little meat, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's only gotten more intense with the growth of vegetarianism and veganism over the last decade or so. And, um, but that's not what the science showed. See, previous to this kind of science, people go, well, you go out and you go to a dig site and all you really find are bones and you don't really find stuff about plants because the plant stuff doesn't survive. Sure. Um, so, so how do you tell what they really ate? And there was just this general default idea that, well, plants are here, so we must have been eating plants. And um, as you will know that wasn't the case. So, no. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so I think you're, if you're... Uh, Listeners decide to go track down the film and stuff. I think the, the one of the main things that I think is really good about it is that instead of you reading something and taking someone's word for it, is that you get to go along. You're tagging along. Yes. It's like you and me going to these sites, you know, talking to the people that are in the trenches that are actually doing the work, not doing opinions about the work, and um, seeing for ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah, what's out there. And then you can make your own decisions. You know, you don't need someone to say, this is right and this is wrong. You can go, oh my, I never knew that. And there it is. Right. You know, um, yeah, I, I know myself, I'm a much better visual learner. Yeah. I try to tell people that that's, that's why I recommend the film so wholeheartedly is because it's the investigative journalism approach versus an opinion piece. Because at the end of the day, you have all these other documentaries and everything, and they are trying to prove a specific hypothesis that they are all in on. And that's the way that it is. But now you start literally dissecting anthropological data. And a couple of the things, I wrote some of this down because I really wanted to, to, help, read, to help listeners get an understanding of this. So you interviewed uh, Professor Richards, who was right. talking Mike about, Richards. Yes, Mike Richards, who was talking about these isotopes and the nitrogen levels in these different isotopes really breaking down these proteins to see what people ate. And a direct quote that I pulled from your book is Professor Richards himself saying, in all the studies, we measured thousands and thousands of humans from all over the world. I think we have yet to find a vegetarian or a vegan. And not only that, but when you guys get into the Neolithic, the, the, the later iterations, I guess, of man, of human beings, you see lots of protein from plants and an explosion of health problems. So you guys talk about how populations grew in size, but literally the skeletal frames, they became shorter with weaker bones, increased cavities and tooth decay. Generally speaking, the species as a whole became weaker with the rise of agriculture, correct? Correct. You're right. Right. It's like Gary Sawyer at the American Museum of Natural History says, as we started to go downhill. Yes. You know, or, or uh, 
you know, and some of the other professors were saying, yeah, the, just before agriculture was, uh, her professor liked to tell her that that was the peak of human evolution, the peak of human development, when we were the strongest and uh, most resilient and, you know, assumably healthiest. In fact, I love it. It's the, one of the French uh, women professors in the dig site. And, I, you know, I asked her, I said, well, is that diet healthier than, was it healthy? And she says, well, it must have been healthy. Otherwise, we would not be here. <laughs> Correct. Absolutely. So I thought, well, that's really underscoring it really easy, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and, and what I love to, to point out here, and, and this is, okay, this is going to be a little bit of opinion piece from me, is I always tell my listeners that it, it, I actually have an emotional response to the fact that these people are so frustrated, my clients, by the time they get to me, they've been failed so horrifically by the mainstream that it actually, it bothers me that they have to go to a random musician in Nashville, like myself, to get accurate information. That's how screwed up things have become. And sometimes I think it takes a non-expert like myself to see the forest through the trees. So this, the glaring issue that I see in all this modern nutrition science is really the peak of human technology is the last 30 years, let's say. So the only option we have is to study ourselves. So we are studying a species that is already fat, sick, and nearly dead. We're doing all of these studies on a weaker version of the species. We're already sick. So we're studying a sick population to make decisions on how to be a healthier population. When you stop and think of it like that, it doesn't make sense, right? Yeah, yeah. That's like one of those, you know, palm face slap things, whatever, however you say that. Face palm. You know, you know, yeah, yeah, face palm or, you know, those head scratcher, we used to say. That, yeah, yeah. That, and I'm in complete agreement with you and I look at it and I go, but, but, and in fact, the only um, fairly well-known fella that did it differently was Weston Price, you know, the dentist, when he went all over the world, he intentionally looked for healthy populations mm -hmm. to see what the health, the healthiest ones that existed at the time, um, to see what they were doing and what they were eating, what their lifestyle was and what they could extrapolate from that. And he, of course, used dentistry and the condition of the teeth and whatnot as one of his biz, big markers of health and well-being. And, you know, he found these cultures around the world that had perfect teeth. They never had to have any teeth extracted. They didn't need to brush their teeth every day to keep from having cavities, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, very different, very interesting stuff. But of course, he comes back and, um, you know, has to encounter the same things we come back and encounter, which are um, a, it's a machine, you know, of, of, of medical and pharmaceutical. And, uh, um, it, you know, it has its own life and it doesn't want things to change. And, um, and I think you're right. What happens is, is that the lucky ones come across someone such as yourself that, um, you know, found a way out from the misinformation and the guidance that they've been given. Now, mind you, there's probably a lot of people in medicine that their heart is in the right place, but what they're willing to accept and do um, is limited. Like, for example, I'm a veteran, right? So in uh, some of my care, I go to the VA for, and they are required to do the standard of care, which does not include very much advanced thinking. In fact, I don't think it includes any advanced thinking yeah. after all the times I've been there. And so, so what you say about amateurs having to come to the fore, and it's the same thing that happened with Lorenzo's oil, 
if you have any familiarity with that, it's a, it's a movie about some parents that discovered a way of helping their child who medicine couldn't help. And, mm. um, and I saw an article in the LA Times mm. 35 or 40 years ago. Okay. And the, the, the whole point in the headline of it was that often amateurs are the ones that make the major breakthroughs, not the professionals. Because just as you said, they aren't locked into a certain way of thinking um, and they're able to go places the people with more rigid thinking you know, couldn't possibly imagine going. Right. You know, you know so, so I think you're right. And, um, you know, and in my case, as far as the film was concerned, you know, it was just, I had no idea and I'm just glad it came at a good time that it could help people. You know, and it did much better than I had. You know, I had no idea how well it would do. I, if you did sell ten DVDs, you know, right? For, you know, and something like that. But nicely enough, it uh, has reached a lot of people. Yeah, you crushed it, and it's it's so interesting too because there is that kind of. I get a little nervous because I I say this all the time. Every episode I do, I'm like, hey, I'm not an expert. I'm not pretending to be an expert. Like you're going to easily hit me with a question I probably don't know the answer to. But then there is, you do need to take it further, and the idea of personal responsibility. So. When people come to me, a lot of times I will jump straight to if they get custom macronutrients from me. The protein macronutrient is going to be somewhere around 30% of their daily calories. And I still come up against this argument all the time because all of the experts are blaming meat for just about everything. Animal protein, as particularly red meat. So I tell them 30% protein and somehow because they saw a BuzzFeed article once upon a time, they go, oh, well, that's going to destroy my kidney health. And then, right, and I'm like, oh, and I have to untangle that. But then we go back to anthropological data, right? We go back to what you have discovered, what you have, have shown people. And it's this idea that really throughout all of history, the most robust times as a species, it was mostly large herbivores. It was mostly red exactly. meat. And they're digging into brain tissue and bone marrow and all that literally through all of time. But somehow modern man has just demonized this animal protein. And I, I can't understand it. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, when it comes to just anthropological evidence in general, the, the folks that are on the vegan vegetarian side and, you know, oh, like Barry Sears says, you know, it's it, nutrition is like religion and politics. Yes. It's very, it's very visceral. People get, you know, get their shorts in a skinny or whatever. I don't know whatever that phrase was. But oh, in a tight knot or something. Well, yeah. Yeah. I just proved that I have zero hipness of awareness <laughs> to your entire audience um, or, or even old phrases. But the, um, the thing is, is that they'll say, well, wait a second. Humans ate a lot of fruit. In fact, that was mostly what they ate and, and they ate grains and stuff. And what happens is is that our species evolved out of what's usually focused on is about a 200, two and a half million year period of time. And because the reason it's focused on that for the most part is because the first discovery of stone tools mm, that okay. were about two and a half million years ago. And the, there were 22 or 23 different species uh, uh, that preceded us in our evolution that didn't survive. And we are the only ones out of all of this tree of becoming uh, Homo homo sapien, we, our species, is uh, we're the only survivors. Yes. And, uh, you know, some of it was dumb luck. 
you know, because that uh, that there were there were pockets of times where there were very few individuals left, and luckily enough, they survived and and continued on. Um, but what the, what the vegan veggies veggies will do is they'll go back two hundred thousand years to something that was not us. Mm. It was an ancient ancestor who did eat more plant foods than what we ended up eating later when we actually developed our brains right. and um say we'll see see they ate that and they ignored the part of the timeline that they don't want to uh pay attention to and right. honestly the same thing happens in the paleo ancestral world to justify potatoes yeah you know or to, because the humans us human species it's really not that two and a half million years and people keep quoting two and a half million years but no it's really only the last 160 or so yes 160,000 because that's when we emerged so the only to me the only relevant time to speak about about i mean when it comes to us analyzing our own health and well-being is the the time that we were here <laughs> and what were we eating when we were here yeah and and um and you know and that's really the fascinating discovery is that we were top level carnivores at least in the south of france where we went to these dig sites and from what the mox Planck tells me is that from these thousands of sites all over the world the story is the same yeah as you say mostly large herbivores mostly large animals yeah what was staggering to me a really fun point that i mean i thought it was fun because i'm a nerd and i love this stuff right but even you you talked briefly in your book in the companion book about the mediterranean diet and really when you go back to the anthropological data is even in the mediterranean the, the evidence still shows it really wasn't a lot of fish. There wasn't a lot of fish and there wasn't a lot of small game. It was still these giant herbivores. Well, yeah, and it's really fascinating because people people think because we are have adaptability and because we're smart that if it's on the ground in front of us, we'll eat it. Right. You know, <laughs> you know no matter what it is. Yeah. You know, or if it's hanging from the tree, we'll grab it and eat it. But- just like when you go to the restaurant, you've got your favorites. Yes. You know, you've got things that you're really looking for. And um, after, well after the movie, there was a, a Marcelo, I apologize, I can't remember his last name right now, that I interviewed from Max Blanc, who um, did specific studies in and a, around uh, the Mediterranean as far as finding populations and what did they eat. Because, of course, there are places where you find a lot of shells and you find a lot of bones, and so you assume that that was their major food source. Well, they again are able to dig up these guys and do these same kind of radioisotopic tests and tell you what they were eating. And whenever and wherever they could get it, they still preferred large land animals. Mm -hmm. And the fish, just like fowl has become for us, like chicken things, these are fallback foods. Mm. These are like, well, we killed everything we really want to eat. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so now we've got to be, you know, clever and find something else that's as close as possible to that, that, uh, you know, still makes us feel good. So that was fascinating because that was the first science I'd ever seen about that. Is that no, no, it wasn't fish-based. <laughs> right. You know, we were still eating the big land animals whenever and wherever we could get them. Yeah. And it's the same thing. I, I never really quite understood. If you look at the nutrient profiles of foods, it's pretty simple. You know, the, these big herbivores are grand for gram, just the most nutrient dense food you can get your hands on. And it's always confused me. And it, it kind of comes from the bodybuilding world and the idea of lean protein, just very low fat protein, that chicken has become the end all be all of quote unquote, healthy lean protein. In America, that's, that's always kind of baffled me because it just there's no comparison between chicken and red meat when it comes to nutrient density. 
Yeah, no, you know, and that's all been over the course of marketing because part of what happens in, in our country is that um, some people who are uh, officials and reportedly reputable come out and they say, oh, fat's bad for you. So the animals that have the most saturated fat, they too, therefore, must be bad for you. And, um, and they sell the idea to everyone, to doctors and in the marketplace. And so then the marketplace tries to adapt and say, well, we, we still want to sell protein and we still want to sell animals. So what can we do? Well, during the years that we're trying to genetically modify our beef and, and red meat to um, hold less marbling or to be less fatty, what else do we got? Well, we got chickens and we got pork, the other white meat. And you know that kind of stuff that are in of themselves leaner at least the breast tissue and stuff like that. So, so on the surface of it, as a sales piece, like low-fat yogurt or no-fat yogurt, it's, it's like, well, it's fitting the bill of what they're telling me will make me healthy right, and keep me healthy. So, and, you know, that stuff, once you've been watching that for 20 years, is, it's hard to let go. Um, in fact, um, on the new project, and I assume we'll talk about more about that later, but one of the uh, ladies who's a rancher, who is trying to um, help get the good science out there and the right information. And I, we were talking about this misunderstanding about what's healthy and what's not. And she says, she says, you know, the ranchers are the worst. Is it because, you know, they want to do good things and they've, their families have been here. You know, it's not like the big co-op feedlots that you see bashed all the time. Most of these things, were raised on somebody's ranch, right? <laughs> you know, and they're out there in the fields and they're trotting around and they're doing all that. And those families believe in what they're doing and they yes. believe in raising a product they think will help people be healthy. But what's happened in the last 30 and 40 years is a lot of those people at some level believe their stuff's not really healthy. Mm. Even the people that make it. Interesting. A lot of them. Yeah. So there's this dance between, well, I you know, this is what we make and this is what we raise. So let's try to change it into a way that the um, powers that be, whether they be governmental or uh, the influence of advertising and stuff will accept. But that's the thing. Now that we're, we're kind of in a new place where there's more and more pushback, like with what you're doing mm -hmm. and that it's like, well, wait a second. Now we have more science, even more science and we have even better science. And you know what? We really messed up. Yeah. And this big experiment we've been doing for 30 or 40 years has hurt a lot of people and it's going to continue to hurt people if we don't, you know, wise up. But of course, to do that, you've got to rally people to this new understanding. And that's just like in your practice. It's like a one-on-one. -on -one. It's mm. difficult to get people to kind of get it. And you know what? Quite honestly, when I, I had been doing like you, you know, I was eating non-fat milk and cereal, yeah. you know, and stuff like that for years, thinking I was doing the right thing. Now, I never understood why I needed to eat a whole damn box of cereal, right? even to start to feel full, <laughs> you know, but I, like you, I was an exercise maniac. So, you know, I managed to get away with it. Yeah. And I remember when I first read this stuff, it's, it's like, it's like when you first find out things about religion, that some of the stuff you've been reading has maybe been tweaked a little bit. <laughs> The original information was, is my brain hurt? Yeah. You know, I'm sitting on the bicycle at the holiday spa, you know, reading these books and going, what? Eat more fat? And then, and then it comes to going home and doing it. Right. 
right? And I was, was still making protein drinks and stuff like that. It was like, well, how much fat can I put in? And gee, is it really okay to put a tablespoon of flax oil, which we never do again now, in to, uh, to it? Because there's this huge fear that has been built in all of us. And so I'm, I completely understand why you say that's such a hurdle, um, you know, these kinds of changes and adaptations. I think the thing that probably with people like you get and the, the, some of the people that end up writing me and stuff is that, that, you know, it's, it's commonly used phrase of, you know, you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. But, but it's worse than that. It's that life is horrible. Mm to people who have these kinds of problems because like one of your Friday summary things a couple of weeks ago, it's like your thyroid gets messed up yeah. and the thyroid gets messed up and that throws these things off and that brings on depression and that brings on gut problems and that brings on, and you feel like dirt and you can't even get, you don't even feel like getting up and doing what someone like you said to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's because you can hardly well and muster the energy to do it until you just, the 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 people that actually force themselves to take action when they feel that bad. A lot of people just keep going. Yeah, right? yeah. And they, they unfortunately fall off the cliff. So. Well, what I love too was you talked about this with Dr. Sebring in, in his practice. And he was explaining, and I have had so many people experience this and I love when they do. I'm like, yes, this is a teachable moment. Because we also have this nonsense in the nutrition space of, okay, yeah, well, let's all eat clean. And then once a week, go to Red Robin and eat the fried onion and ice cream cake and have your cheat day, right? And I, I, I tell people, there's no cheat days here. We're not going to do this. And here's why you shouldn't do it. And what will happen, just like Dr. Sebring said, he said, the diet itself, if you take the steps to do it, it becomes self-perpetuating. Because if you follow this way of eating for a certain period of time, and then you try to go back to eating non-human foods, your body is going to let you know very quickly that you have made a grave mistake <laughs> and you should not make this mistake again. It's very, very unpleasant. It's like touching a hot stove at that point, you know? Well, sure, exactly. And I, I think that's part of the hope of it is that, yeah, you know, this diet and once you start feeling better, it's going to teach you. It's going to help train you because as you say, when you go off, you're going to get spanked and you're going to get spanked hard. Mm -hmm. That's a technical term. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> The thing is, is that people will come into his, like his Dr. Sebring's practice and they will somehow do this over and over and over again. Yeah. And so what he told me, and he didn't tell me this on camera for this. He told me in another opportunity that when we were chatting, he said, well, at some point it becomes a question of intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> I've called it natural selection episodes. And I'm like, is this going to get me in trouble? <laughs> so, but you actually talked about full gene pools, like being wiped out from this you know it's it's not it's actually a real thing oh yeah yeah absolutely you know it's um yeah it's 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 a sad state of affairs that we've gotten ourselves into the best people can do is try to i think it's like learning to be a lifeguard is that you learn to save yourself first or you can't save anybody else mm -hmm. um and or you can't help anybody else in fact, that's one of the first things I used to be a lifeguard. And they say, you go out there and there's two people that are holding each other. And the one that's pulling the other one down, you kick away and you let them do their thing and you save the one that was weaker. Yeah. Yeah. At first, that would be drowned by the other person. Right. And then you go back for the other person. But the, this, is, this is the only way people will learn. And every once in a while, because of the culture and society that we live in, you know, you got 10 friends who aren't supportive, mm -hmm. who, who continue to like to do whatever they do, you know, the chips and beer and whatever mm -hmm. for the big game next Sunday. And, 
and that kind of thing. And they say, yeah, come on. Oh, it's not going to hurt. Oh, you know, yep. it's, it's like, and moderation. I know. <laughs> moderation. Only eat half the bag. Yes. And you'll, you'll be fine. I think that's, that's the biggest lie. So anyway, and you can say I said so. Yes. So, um, yeah, it's just, an, it's just an excuse. And unfortunately, our species is at the point that we're at is, um, you know, really willing to make excuses to keep from doing stuff that's uncomfortable. Yeah. Even if it's good for, even if it's good for them. Right. And they know it's good for them. And they really sort of kind of want to do it. Yeah. You know, so it, it takes some, it takes hearty individuals, ultimately. I think the people that you work with that are successful have their own sort of toughness. Yes. That they say, you know what? Yeah, there's all this junk flying at me every day, but I'm not going to buy into it. I'm going to work with this escape plan, <laughs> you know, yep. and follow it. And I, I will discipline myself until it's um, second nature. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I love that you touched on the people around you because it's so important. I mean, one of the most common questions I get, CJ, I'll tell you right now, man, I, I've worked one-on-one with over 500 people just in 2018 remotely. My. And the number one question that I get is how do I deal with everyone around me telling me that I'm crazy, telling me that I'm wrong? Don't you want one bite of the cheesecake? How do you just sit there and not eat cake when everyone else is eating cake? And I'm like, look, there comes a point where you have to tell those people, if you want to continue to be a part of my life, you're going to have to let me do my thing. Like, or, or I'm going to have to go get new people. Because the reality of it is, and I wanted to point out this statistic because I love the way that you worded this. Let's go, let's tell people how bad it's really gotten in America with this idea of moderation and counting calories and living a normal life and blah, 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 all this stuff, right? Right now, you outline this perfectly. It's, it's the most horrific statistic I think I've ever heard. But there's between three to 400,000 people dying in America every year from preventable metabolic diseases. And what you tell people is that is the equivalent of a September 11th attack every three days for the entire year. Forever. <laughs> Forever. Forever. Yet we somehow go, well, Maybe I just ate 250 calories too much of the whole grain bread. Maybe that was the problem. I'll just eat a little bit less of the same foods that are killing people. And I want to help people understand my goal with this whole podcast is to give people actionable advice. So I want to, I want to jump into your actionable advice. We're going to talk about your new project, everything. If I'm going to keep you all day, if you let me. <laughs> there you go. But uh, what a dog will get upset. But there you yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> this very basic concept. Um, and I, I wrote an article a couple years ago, and obviously I was basically trained by you in this stuff, but I wrote an article a couple years ago. And, and what I express to people is when you live this way long enough, there will be a light bulb moment. There will be a flick of a switch in your brain that changes things. So I try to explain to people that if an average human walks into a real estate office and there's a bowl of plastic fruit sitting on the coffee table in the waiting room their brain instantly recognizes not food. Mm. That's the message that the brain gets. It's plastic, not food. Mm. So I wrote about this in an article. I put a picture of a bowl full of plastic fruit. And then I explained to people, when I'm walking through the airport and I smell and see Cinnabon, my brain has the same not food identification immediately because I've done this for so long now. And that's what I want to try to get people to. And that's also what you 
advocate. I know you weren't huge on the advocation thing, but you talk about originally at least. (laughs) Yes. You talk about foods versus uh, human foods. You use the terms human foods and non-human foods. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Your basic guidelines. Well, it's people look for, you know, guidelines and for advice and, you know, Eat, eat this, don't eat that is probably the closest thing that exists now to this idea of human foods and non-human foods. Mm-hmm. The, the thing, the kind of the magical simplicity, I, you might call it, of, of the idea of human foods and non-human foods is that it, it clearly defines that there are just two columns. You don't have to have 10 different ones. It's not how much fat it's got and how much protein it's got and you know, how many of this amino acid it's got, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's just that... Either it was meant for us as a food, as for our species, or it wasn't. Right. And so one of the things that happens in our culture today is people can't make decisions because there's there's no valid black and white. Black and white is usually dismissed as invalid in that there's 500 choices and they're all right. Right. (laughs) They're all right to somebody. Yeah. And, um, but when it comes to this, feeding our bodies and feeding our bodies what um, they expect because of all these years of human development and human evolution, um, it really is black and white. Now, there, yeah, people are going to fuss and say, oh, you can fudge it a little here and fudge it a little there, and you only have to do 80%, and then you're, you, know, you get most of the benefit. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever those excuses are, I've always been one of those even when I was racing motocross, when I was doing other stuff, when I first started eating these other foods, is I was always kind of a 100% guy. I said, you know, if I don't do it 100%, I won't know mm-hmm. what I can do. I won't know how much better I feel. I won't know what's possible. And like you, I eventually had that point, the turning point where it's like, I, I just, I don't want to eat that. Right. It doesn't interest in me anymore. It doesn't tempt me anymore. You know, I might go, oh yeah, that smells good. And there's a lot of things pass a bakery or one of these, you know, Cinnabon places and like that. Yeah. And, and I'll get a whiff of that and I'll go, wow, I'm diabetic just from this, <laughs> just from taking in the smell, yeah. you know, and, and it's not to be mean to them. It's just, you become really sensitive and I, it's, I love savory now. Yeah. You know, it's absolutely the, your taste buds change straight up your tastes change. Yeah. And you, what appeals to your taste buds change. And nicely enough, there are, they are changes that when, you respect those changes in yourself that you, you just feel a whole lot better and you're not hungry as often. And you're not, you know, as been out of shape in so many ways that you can be by eating non-human food. So, I mean, that was the whole point of that was to try to simplify it, you know, you know, and like in Dr. Sebring's practice is, you know, culling it down to, okay, well, if you've got to have worst offenders and what are non-human foods that the, the easy list are, now, and I can explain the lean meats part is he said lean meats, turkey, fish, chicken, right? And the non-human stuff is grain, dairy, beans, and potatoes. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't evolve to eat those things. And, you know, the people, even, even vegetarians who are fuzzy or veg, vegetarians who eat dairy, they'll say, well, you shouldn't eat dairy from another species. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those folks will say that. And of course, that's what we do. Yeah. And I, I guess somebody, Dr. Sebring or somebody says, well, just imagine yourself, you know, 15,000 years ago before a lot of agriculture trying to chase down one of these predecessors to the cow and milk it. (laughs) (laughs) 
these things looked like babe yeah. on, you know, unless has Disney done babe again, or am I just like falling into the forties? I think they did. I think they redid 1940s. it. Actually. You know, so it's this massive creature that stands, you know, several feet above you, something that looks like it came out of the Jurassic. Yeah. And you're not going to go try to milk that puppy. No, it's just not going to happen. So, I mean, there, you're going to grab an udder and immediately get kicked in the face. <laughs> that's what's going to happen. Yes. And therefore, you're part of the new faceless species. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's very odd. So anyway, but these are things that are the most harmful. And, you know, if you can dump these things and the things that are made from them, mm-hmm. then you're going to be in much better shape. And it just takes a little, a little self, you know, people hate the word self-discipline. I know. But discipline really comes from the word disciple. Mm. And if you, it's, it's, you know, being a, a disciple to yourself, it doesn't have to be a negative thing. It's being, you know, it's going for something higher that you want for yourself. Um, you know, it has a little bit of that, those spiritual connotations, of course, but, but sometimes that's what it takes for people to understand there's a difference. It's like, it's not that you have discipline and your friends, you know, are going to razz you because you don't want to go have pizza night is not a bad thing. No. And it doesn't make you a bad human. In fact, the last ancestral health event, shall I just put it that way that I went by, I walked by one of the speaking areas and one of the ladies who sells cooking books or something like that was telling the audience that they were bad if when they went out with their friends. At this, I'm, obvi- I'm obviously just trying to whittle it down to what sure. the content, not the exact verbiage, but the uh, basically is that if your friends wanted to go out and eat something different and you didn't go, you were bad that there's, there's something wrong with, and it's like, it's like, then you were missing out on life. Yeah, sure. That, that, that you were missing out on the love of your friends and the enjoyment of those moments because you're being a fussy budget. Right. Right. That's the word they used to say before you were born. So anyway, (laughs) my mom would say, Oh, don't be such a fussy budget. (laughs) And I, and I just, you know, and I went and mentioned it in line at the, dinner that night that was filled with meats right mm-hmm. to someone we both know and i brought i don't i don't have permission to say it so i won't yeah it's just it's, you know a major figure in in the in the whole uh, paleosphere and stuff just said you know and i said someone ought to say something and he, and he says fight battles you can win yeah Yep. I'm imagining exactly who said that to you right now. <laughs> yes, I'm sure you know. Just, just fight battles. Yeah. Win. And, but uh, that's the thing too. You don't always know which ones you can. Right. Yeah. Cause that's a whole new, that's a whole new group. That's a whole new tribe. And they've all got their new set of belief systems and Lord help you if you step outside of that. Well, you know what I've noticed CJ is that I see it in this. I believe in this ancestral health and wellness space with my whole heart, but what I see is everybody is doing exactly what you said. How can I take something that's maybe kind of paleo-ish and forcefully inject it into the realm of paleo? So it's everyone, what they're trying to do is take the US food pyramid on one side to the extreme, let's call it all the way to the right, and then paleo all the way to the left. And they're trying to blend the two somewhere in the middle and create the gray area that you're talking about. And the newsflash for them is it doesn't work. It's not going to work. And you're doing people a disservice. And what I love that you talk about in your book as well is, and I'm big on this in in Clovis. Like if I give somebody a custom nutrition plan, they're going to get an approved foods list from me. That's all the things that I say are Clovis approved foods. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you know what? And you said these words exactly in your book. I just want you to tell me what to do. 
what can you give me a meal plan? What am and I go, no, no, I don't give meal plans. You need to learn this. You need to learn what is food and you need to learn what is not food. It's the teach a man to fish argument. If you don't learn this, you're gonna hop from meal plan to 21 day detox to whole 30 to boot camp this to over and over and over blindly. It's like it's like if you have a GPS and you drive in your own neighborhood with the GPS on and never learn your own neighborhood. Mm, right. Once you don't have the GPS, you're in trouble, you know? Yeah. So people really have to learn. Well, yeah, I, that's the only that's the only real salvation in the whole thing right. is so that you don't have to th- and then you get to a point where you don't have to think about it. You don't have to follow some supposed guru's uh meal plan. And this is why and uh, again in our culture for whatever reason why um there are so many new diet books which effectively say the same thing every year. They go to number one and sell a bazillion yeah. copies, uh, you know, every January one or just before now, thanks to Amazon. Mm-hmm. And um, they, because they have a plan and, you know, and someone can pick it up and go, okay, for breakfast, I'm going to have a quarter cup of mung beans and um, this much soy, you know, milk <laughs> and, you know, and um, my, plant-based butter substitute product, yeah. which I actually saw in the store the other day. And I, and I said, goodness, plant, plant-based butter. I, and I'm thinking out loud, right? I, all these people shopping around me, I'm going, there's no such thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know, I'm just such a curmudgeon. Yeah, me too, man. How do you milk an almond? <laughs> well, yeah, the dairy, I tell you, the dairy industry is really upset because that, that got away from them. And this is why the beef industry is trying to nail down the plant-based burger thing right didn't come from an animal source you can't call it what people understand as being animal foods whether it's Mm. burger or hot dog or you know you know you can't call it a plant steak you know and you know these kinds of things these lab grown things there there has to be a distinction that those even animal cells that they've recombined into a new product they're not from the animals that were out in the sunshine playing in the fields you know, and who knows what they raise those things with? Who knows what kind of nutritional value they really have just because they came from the wing of a chicken? Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't mean that it's superior, you know, and there's that, um, uh, yeah. So that's why that fight's going on right now. And they're, they're trying to lock it down and get people to use the FDA because they have different rules that then everyone would have to play on the same playing field. And the people that sell the plant-based stuff, just as a quick aside, they don't want to do that because they know it's to their advantage to use terms that have, people already know and understand. You know, they can sell many more plant-based burgers in the store, calling it an impossible burger mm-hmm. or calling it a, you know, it's the beyond burger was the, <laughs> the one I see taking up shelf space now at the local Albert, Albertsons and Ralph's. Yep. Um, then they can, if it just says uh, plant patty, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, we I think we talked about this on the phone. We had a phone call the other day and and it's this idea that you can just somehow like 3D print meat, right? <laughs> like we, we have a 3D printer and we just made this thing that's just as nutritious as meat. And again, it's it's kind of like the amateurs coming in going, "Yeah, but what is the raw material? That didn't just come out of air." Well, yeah. <laughs> like you don't, you don't. This 3D printer didn't just suck up a bunch of air, oxygen, and create meat. 
there's raw materials here. Where is this coming from? And so before we go too far off the rails here, I just want to give people. Yeah, we will. Because yeah. people probably don't know at this point. Um, Clovis is involved in your project. You have a new project that I'm crazy excited about, all about uh, basically the idea of regenerative agriculture, correct? And this uh, the, the meat principles. Well, well the, that all plays a big part of it in it. Yes. And I, I think what I've learned since I started it, though, if you want people to understand and be chase after the ideas of regenerative agriculture is that it can't just be the story of the farmer down the block, that these are nice people and they're raising this stuff. And gee, by the way, it's healthier for you. Sure. You know, it, it, you got, I think as a journalist, you know, with a news thing is that you got to show people that the information they're being given that sends them in another direction is inaccurate if it is and or wrong or just downright lie <laughs> to, yes. for whatever their other uh, the other agenda is because until the population in general says well gee you know go be a vegan or a vegetarian if you want to sure. but wouldn't you rather do it knowing the truth about the way it is not because you've been given some a fake argument that if you eat you know you stop eating beef one night a week it's going to save the planet mm. you know but, but eat our burger that we're happy to sell you yeah that you don't know where it came from you have no idea yeah, you don't. And those come from labs and those comes from, in fact, the Impossible Burger, it comes from uh, wheat. And I don't know if it's, say, it's, it's, a, it's a Japanese food. It's S-E-I-T yeah. something. And it's, it, you know, I'm, I'm going to make it sound like Satan, but it's, it's <laughs> you know, it's, it's a derivative of that. A little, so a little wheat molecule here and a little GMO soy uh, molecule here but since they made it such a small molecule it, it doesn't matter that it's gmo and you know and then this other stuff this that uh this hemi iron from plants to make it bleed so that our plant looks like a bleeding burger like a real meat and wow. you, it's just that and of course their scientists who they use as their verification system and that unfortunately thus far the government has accepted as um reliable uh, third-party sources to um, whether this thing is dangerous or not. You know, they were able to avoid certain hurdles Wow! Um, to the marketplace. And it's just like, well, you know, I, I write stuff like you occasionally once in a while on Facebook and people say, I don't want to eat that. Right. <laughs> Why would I put that in my mouth? No, <laughs> you know? no thank you. You know what's crazy too? The, the, this idea of the forest through the trees that I keep going back to. Like what I see in this whole thing is like hilarious to me because if you look at the environment, this 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 vegan vegetarian, your idea of dispelling the lies is all about this vegans and vegetarians will save the environment, right? Okay, so let's look back on what you and I have already talked about. All of the anthropological data studying thousands and thousands and thousands of humans has never found a vegan or vegetarian. And the entire world, as we know, in its natural state, operates as a series of ecosystems, whether it's the jungle or the rainforest or the Sahara, whatever, right? All these ecosystems work naturally. So vegans and vegetarians in nature have never existed, ever. And all of a sudden, the answer to saving the planet is converting all people to vegan and vegetarian. It makes zero sense. I can't wrap my head around it. 
Yeah, I know. And it's interesting because some of the subject matter experts that I'm talking to for the new film, which is called Dispelling the Lies, you know, it's the perfect human diet too, because people already know about the perfect human diet, that it's a journalistic exploration into these ideas. Um, you know, it's important to get down to the root of what is true and what isn't true in order to make your decisions. This is the same thing about discovering this stuff about um, the anthropological evidence. It's like, well, gee, now you know, and now you can make informed decisions. Right. Well, the, the, we're in a very weird space right now in America and in a lot of the other developing countries where um, because they are slammed now with vegan, and really a lot of vegan and vegetarian films and media coverage uh, that it's becoming the new reality. It's becoming the new truth, whether it's true or not. And as we well know, there are people can take a podium and they, nothing true can come out of their mouths and half the country <laughs> will believe them. Correct. So, and fight for them. Yes. Yes. So um, the- It's an angry mob, man. It's, it is, an, yeah, it's sad. But uh, not getting distracted by that rabbit hole. Yes. Um, another five hour discussion. No, the, the thing is, is that the, what happened, from my perspective is with the new movie and with Dispelling the Lies is to, for the good stuff to take hold, you've got to reveal what's really happening. And what's really happening and has happened is that uh, there's a political story uh, to it, which involves the food pyramid and the science uh, of verifying or pushing the belief that uh, saturated fat is bad and low fat stuff is good and plant-based stuff is better. And there's, there's that side. And then there's the media side because um, people will believe what they see. Again, they, they're unthinking. Yes. You know, and it's not to, it's just that, you know, the, there's something in human nature and it's not an attack on any one individual, but there are times when we're just lazy. Tell me what to do. And we want someone to, yeah, we just tell me what to do. Yeah. Just you find in your practice. So they'll go to a movie and there'll be really dramatic pictures and, you know, sequences and things. In fact, in Nina Teichold's uh, The Big Fat Diet, I mean, the, no, um, Big Fat Surprise, uh, we're, we're talking about it in that it's, you know, you see a mother who's pregnant, drink milk, and her belly turns orange like it's radioactive, and it's scary. Yeah. There are all these scare tactics, even though, you know, they're not true. It's just that these, there's a huge influence happening now within the population to the media, what they will represent, represent and what they will say is true to the public, and, um, and the, uh, also what the government is being influenced by. Mm -hmm. And they're based on the same many, in most cases, they're based on the same studies being parroted over and over and over again. In like one, for example, is, you know, agriculture's long shadow, the long shadow report or something like that, where the vegan vegetarian folks will say, oh, look, 18%, some higher percentage number of, of all of the pollution and air pollution and, you know, destruction of the environment is because of animal agriculture. Well, the people that did that, of course, they never come back and say, well, the people that did actually did that study said, whoops, we didn't do that right. <laughs> so we think it's sort of in this area. And then someone else comes along and says, well, we can refine that even more. And what we find out, it's like hospitals. And it's like normal transportation that are the biggest offenders for global warming and greenhouse gases and all those kinds of things. And where does 
animal agriculture really fall in? Mm, two or three percent. Wow. Versus eighteen. Well, yeah, it, it's it, and it might even be higher. I'm just like kind of like pulling that one out of my hat. Sure. Um, but uh, uh, but the, it they're filled with things like this that they call studies that they only grab the stuff that supports their position, and um, and unfortunately, people will buy it hook, line, and sinker. Yep. Now, so there's a, a couple of things that I'm concerned with. There is one, you know, a lot of people are going to get hurt that. M- May would not otherwise be hurt, perhaps, if they hadn't been told that lie, right? Right. If because they didn't weren't in an age group where they were so damn compassionate, and they grew up with little stuffed toys with big eyes that looked like cows, right, and looked like pigs, and so they're already they're predisposed, and little cartoon shows, they're already they're predisposed to animals are our friends. Yeah, you know, they're my buddies and my pals. You know, um, we've turned them into something else you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, um, either even dancing vegetables. Yeah. Right. Right. So the, the part of what's wrong with that is people are going to be hurt that are innocent. Yes. Then there's going to be people who know what they're doing, but hate animals so much and animal egg for any number of reasons, animal cruelty, they believe in the pollution thing. They've seen one, uh, aerial drone shot of a big, you know, uh, CAFO or something. Yeah. Like CAFO with, that has the 10,000 cows and they're all standing in cow poop waiting to be shipped away while they're being fed grains and stuff for the last few months of their lives. And that's the only image they ever have. Yeah. (laughs) And mind you, I I just learned that some of that's not even from America. Right. Right. So, (laughs) but it's presented as if this is us, we're the ones doing this problem. Um, and uh, it's going to hurt individuals, but it also hurts us collectively because those lies or, or, or those deceptions are influencing government response to things like the food pyramid. Well, why is the food pyramid important? Well, wait a second. Your kids are fit in school based on that. Yes, of course. You know, the foods that are available to them that they don't bring from home, right? Yeah. And, and um, you know, and in prisons and in the military service, there, there's a right. big row now about how they're, you know, the kids that are coming into the military, most of them are too fat. Yeah. So they, they are, they're too fat to serve. Right. And if they don't get it together enough, they can't get their basic training. You know, so even well, and then there's talk of that being discriminatory somehow, where we need to change the the guidelines of basic training so more people can be involved. You're like, wait a minute, these are the people that are supposed to protect you <laughs> based on their physical demands. You know, it's like, come on, yeah, this it isn't isn't like you know first grade where everybody gets a gold star, right? I I did good in school today, mommy. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, that might have a place to help encourage you know youngsters, but we're supposed to be adults. Yes. You know, and at some point, yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. still working on it. But um, yeah, me too. <laughs> the, the thing is, is that it affects things that are really serious in many respects. Yeah. So how do, you, how do you fix that? Well, at some point or another, uh, that if someone such as us or me and, you know, steps up and says, and on the same playing field, puts out information that is the accurate information, that is scientifically accurate, and also exposes the cover-ups and the deceptions that have led to people being able to do what they're doing, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and people on the food 
guidelines committee that are vegetarians that say, oh, why should I declare that as a conflict of interest? Right. Or or these other major studies. It's like they don't even see it as a conflict of interest. Yeah, vegetarian (laughs) and vegan doctors, let alone, I mean, like the subsidies. What what, I think we spend, I I think taxpayers spend $20 billion a year subsidizing grain, literally. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, kind of flabbergasting it is down to it well and that's just it so so you've got these health implications and you've got the future of our children and our armed services implications and then you know you've got um the future of the food marketplace Mm -hmm. because the things that they think are bad for you they'll start taxing Mm -hmm. (laughs) or make more expensive because you know if you want to eat that steak then there's going to be a premium on it like smoking right right you know um, what was it? Is it Denmark that already added a tax? And, you know, for a while there was a shortage on butter when the low carb people went and bought all the butter up. The oh, wow. Said, Wait a minute, this isn't true. In fact, they tested it in the courts over there. And they said, well, you know, you can't bash the low carb diet anymore yeah. because the science is there. It's healthy. Oh, that, that's the other thing is the science. Mm-hmm. You know, the science that has been suppressed, which is why it's as much of anything as this political story. And folks need to know this in the hopes that partly a, it'll help them do you do what you do and help people on their own um, path and getting well, because they can see again, just like going into the, you know, dig sites of France, they can see the whole picture. They can see, well, gee, these are the bad actors. They've done the big things. They've pushed this through inappropriately, you know, and fostered this deception. Right. Um, you know, and now often in the name of cash. Yeah. So, you know, um, there's there's so much to it. It's, it's and it's Chris Kresser talks about the the healthcare industry. Like the the economy is going to go bankrupt. I mean, we're 12 years away from 100% of the GDP being spent caring for the sick. That's pretty scary and pretty definitive. These these things need to be known in order for the truth to have a chance of winning out because until it gets, you know, on the for example on the web, you know, and on Twitter, Everyone's speaking to the choir, and I don't know that they really, really honestly get that. Is you know, they there have gone from the days that we met, uh, you know, a handful of doctors practicing low carb medicine, or you know, uh, um, now of course the ketogenic diet and all that kind of stuff that's very popular. A handful, and now there are four hundred of them yeah. that are all on the same Twitter feed, right? That are you know, repeating stuff that's either in the news or that they saw somewhere that they learned um, to the same people that in most instances, I think would be fair to say, already know that. Of course. You know, and then it just becomes, yeah, yeah, we're right. Yeah. You know, our, go our team. Um, but what, but, 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 but we <laughs> didn't change anything. Yeah, I know. But we need, what we need is it to go out there and hit people that don't know this and don't see, see this. Well, the, the word... It's exposure. It's that, and that's the big question. That's that's one of the questions I have for you too. Like how you feel about where the project is at right now, how you feel about the information that you've already gathered, and how you're going to present it, and and how do we just get exponential growth of exposure of this thing? How do we get it out there? And how have the the vegans and vegetarians been so astronomically successful at this at this exposure piece? Well, it, well, let me start with them. The, okay. the vegans and the vegetarians have been very successful at this because they're, for whatever reason, the, the vegans, quite honestly, and the vegetarians are much more passionate, mm-hmm. much more vested in their message and what they believe than any other food group. 
okay. you know, you know a, a food, whether it be paleo or keto or any of that kind of stuff, that um, they have a mission to change the world into the way they believe. Mm. And, you know, paleo wants to help people, keto wants to help people, but the world doesn't have to buy in, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? You know, it's just like you, you, just enough customers for me to, you know, do sell my keto powder to, you know, or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, that's all it really takes. That 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 the motivations are, are very different, and and the people that support them that have those motivations have a lot of money. Yeah, you, know, you got people in Hollywood. You got a lot of uh, Silicon Valley folks. You know, you got Bill Gates now. Mm. You know, you've even got major meat industry companies because it's gone so far investing in plant-based foods. Yeah. Yeah. Just so they can have their fingers in everything that has to do with protein. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. But of course that, but what's the message there? The message there is, well, I'm not going to stand up and fight for my thing, but I'm going to get a little piece of that in case, you know, those Indians win. So, um, yeah, yeah. It, it reminds me a lot of the music industry, which you know, I've been a professional musician for 15 years and I saw it with the rise of Napster and people trading music for free and streaming and all that. It's the record industry fought tooth and nail against the change. And they almost all went out of business across the board. Whereas if they would have just accepted the internet and accepted streaming and invested in that little branch, they'd probably still be around today. And that's what I feel like these meat companies are doing. They see the future, they're afraid of it, so they'd rather jump in that raft than just try to stay on their sinking ship. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, um, well, there was an old phrase, like, if you can't beat them, join them. Yes. That's what it was. And, um, you know, and to a point that, you know, it's like when I was talking to Nina again from the Big Fat Surprise, it's like, you know, it's a corporate decision. Mm-hmm. You know, it's their, they are not responsible to save the world. They don't have the same mission that you or I might have right. in trying to help people be healthier. All they have to do, and we hear it over and over again, is um, make money for their stockholders. Yes. And, and it's true in medicine, and it's true in pharmaceuticals, and it's true in the food space. Yeah. Does that bring me up to speed? The food space. The space, yes. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, I know. It's like me saying journey. I'm sorry. I just, I've drank the Kool-Aid now. <laughs> it's good. So I just, I just need to be locked up somewhere. So, okay. So <laughs> throw away the key, quick. No, so so they, they've got a lot of backers that are willing to throw tons of money at that for any number of reasons. You know, they either believe that the stuff about the environment or... Um, oh, and this is it. This is the big clutch. And uh, uh, Peter Ballastat, who's a forage agronomist, who's go, going around doing talks. And he, this is the guy that helps figure out what the good food is for the cows to eat. So they, they make good meat for you to eat, right? In a nutshell. Okay. And, and um, what's happening now and in our attempt and our mission and our effort to uh, bring the truth to the surface in this new film, Dispelling the Lies, um, and if you want to know more, you can go just, here's the commercial. You can go to dispellingthelies.com. Okay. So the, the thing is, is now the science exists. And this is one of the things why I think these people, folks are afraid of the, a new film effort and stuff like that, is that it's easy and it's getting easy to prove that their claims and the things they're using in their movies and the things that they're using to grow the vegan movement across the internet and whatnot are wrong. Mm. As long as you're willing to accept accurate, the newest accurate science sure and the new, newest accurate 
methodologies, that that's, that's wrong. And you're also able to show now easily that the health stuff is wrong. Yep. And you don't have to create these fake scenarios that look like, you know, Halloween murder things in order to scare people off of drinking milk. Mm -hmm. So now this is why we have animal cruelty. Mm. This is why, you, you know, you're slaughtering foods that are innocent. They have their own lives, their lives, and they have their own right to their own lives. And, you know, it's wrong for you. It's morally wrong and ethically wrong for you to kill these creatures, mm. you know, for food. Yeah. You know, for anything else without asking any of the, the other big questions. So since you can, you can now take down health is anyone who, who does it really, really rationally can take down health and they can, you know, um, adjust that information. So the only thing they have left to hang their hat on is the fact that compassion. Yep. Right here. It's just the heart. Yeah. Right in the heart. Yeah. And it's, and that's a different subject. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they, they shouldn't be bundled together. And I don't think anybody, nobody that I've talked to who believes in animal foods are healthy for you or the ranchers or anything believes in cruelty. No. You know, they, they're like in other industries, there are bad actors that do bad things. And all you can do is weed them out, catch them and weed them out. But to then shine a light on them because you had a hidden camera and say, everybody's like this. Yes. Is wrong. You know, absolutely wrong. And it's, it's deceptive again, because you have your own, agenda it's insulting too i think to those families that you talk about like my whole family we get our our meat here from a place called tennessee grass-fed mm -hmm. we can just drive there tour the farm this guy he plays guitar for his cows <laughs> he like will it's hang fun. out in the fields with them and play guitar like he loves these animals yeah so it's like for you to just say that all cattle raisers are evil people and animal cruelty the other part of this is go check out nature videos Oh. And see the deaths that these animals deal with in nature. It is the worst. You ever see a pack of hyenas attack a deer or something? It is so painful to watch. But it's like you said, we're raised from the time we're little that you know, Baloo the bear in the Jungle Book is your best friend. Where in reality, if you get within 20 feet of Baloo the bear, he will bite your skull in half. They're not your friends. And then some. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's so crazy. And I'm so... I'm so glad you brought that up because three or four nights ago, there was a commercial for National Geographic that was showing exactly that stuff. Yeah. While I was in discussion about this, about animal cruelty and whatnot, it's, it's like, well, you know, people need to, if they think, you know, taking a cow around a circle so he can't see where it's going and trying to reduce the stress as much as possible and then whacking it from behind so it never know what it hits them, which is one of the minimizing cruelty things that sure. the beef industry is doing now in the, when they process animals and they harvest them, they use the word harvest, just like mm -hmm. harvesting plants, is, is that, that that's not the way the world works. You know, no. we have a very poly, Pollyanna-ish idea. Uh, yes, you'll have to go look that up mm -hmm. <laughs> or Justin will explain it to you later <laughs> of, what, of how the world works. Yeah. You know, it's very skewed and it's not accurate. And it doesn't mean that I don't feel for these creatures you know i go there and say why didn't the cameraman do something and save that little goat right of you know? course oh yeah that was it i saw some giant eagle mm -hmm. go down and get the smallest weakest little baby that got separated from the other bighorn sheep right yep. and fly away with it and you hear yeah. the poor little thing baying crying yeah you know for help Who, whose heart is it not going to rip out of course Yet that's that's the planet we live on. Yeah, that's the way it works, and and um, some you know and the fact that 
let me ask you this question. If we stopped eating animals today, and we already know there are just Americans, and there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of animals of all kinds that are in the food uh, production chain that are out there, um, and you didn't do that with them, what do you do with them? Correct. What do you do? You know, what do you do with them? How are you supposed to take care of them? They're going to wander into the highway. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's like, and, you know, they're either going to reproduce until they can create the same conditions because they're locked in. They're not out in nature anymore. Yeah. And same conditions that you see at the CCA, whatever. (laughs) CAFOs, yeah. The CAFOs that that horrify you. And now that would happen because we locked them in and it's not nature. In nature, there would be, you know, some wolves that come along and cull, cull the herd. Yes, and, you know. and they eat them literally backside first while they are still alive. They just eat them alive. It's, it's oh. horrific when you look at it. And the thing about nature, I love that just using the word nature, right? There's this really odd thing that we do is we remove human beings from nature as if we are not a species that's a part of nature. So what I mean by that is that it's so easy to look at an anthill and say, that's natural. And then you look at New York City and you say, that's not natural at all. That's this horrific abomination. And it's like, no, 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 no. We're a creature that built shelter for ourselves (laughs) and built a society that helps us survive in a certain way. It's literally the same thing as an anthill. It's just a different species. It's when we remove ourselves from nature or create these unnatural environments like these CAFOs that things just start going crazy. And it's like I said earlier, it just disrupts the ecosystem. Well, yeah, that's it. And, uh, you know, nature got along for a good long time before we came along. Absolutely. And it's very likely that it'll continue very well without us, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is the course we're kind of on at the moment that people kind of want to ignore. Yeah. You know? and, and it's not just and it's not just food and it's not just animals. And it's, you know, there's all these other influences on environment. Oh, and uh, so before I wander off, the one other thing, the big thing, sustainability. Yes. Which is why people think of regenerative agriculture and all that kind of stuff. Well, I would propose, based on some of the things that I'm learning now, is that our definition of sustainability is um, too narrow. I agree. Because there are, there are cultures around the world that are like little tribes, farming cultures, on ground that you cannot grow plants on, that are completely dependent on the cattle they raise and the other animals they raise to be alive. Mm-hmm. For them and their families. And there's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a lot of land around the world that cannot be farmed for corn, you know, and most of which isn't you don't want to eat now anyway. Right, right. You know, there's so so there's the human impact, there's an economic impact. Yeah. Of well, how are we gonna get ourselves out of this? You know, what's too big to fail? Right. <laughs> how are we gonna get ourselves out of this and create a a uh, way that people can make money doing things that are in sync with nature right. is a fair thing too, because those are the things that really make big change, yeah. you know, you know, and the consumers driving those kinds of changes. So, and then as you say, there's the healthcare industry, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's all these bigger things that are tied directly into sustainability and yeah. sustainability isn't just the fact that you hate the way those cows are raised and the fact that you're blaming them for the destruction of the planet is there's so much more to it. It's much more complex. And Oh yes. Peter, Peter says to me, he says, you know, Americans, Americans like to shop their way out of trouble. 
you know, they think that if they go and have a meatless Monday or they buy the plant burger, that somehow in their brain, they think that's going to save the world. Yeah. You know, and it's not. And if everybody ate plant stuff today, that it would save the world. And it's not. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, you know, it's that in and in fact, raising plants and all the stuff that go into these plant burgers and stuff is not harmless. Not at all. Far from it. No, and that's the other thing is they totally got blinders on. You know, I would love to have actual pictures of it, but I don't know that <clears throat> anyone has them because most of our land in America, I think, was turned into, you know, crops and singular monocrops. Monocrop. It's like 15% of the land mass in America. It's, it's staggering. Yeah. Well, and I think what people never ask is, well, okay, they did that so we could grow corn and we could eat that. But what was there before? How many ecosystems were destroyed? Billions of lives. You know, below the ground and above the ground. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, there's the, there's also a uh, there's an elitism to this that I, that I find that again, it's like it's like insulting the rancher. Like, oh, everybody that raises meat is bad. If you if you do that, that's not fair. It's not. It's really not fair. And it's not fair to these people that you're talking about all around the world in different countries where they can't, they don't have the land to grow corn or things like that. What the vegan and vegetarian movement does is they have this sort of intellectual elitism where they, they look down on those people as primitive, mm. as like, oh, well, we'll get to them eventually. Here in America, we are far <laughs> above their intelligence level and we can do these things. And then we'll go teach those lonely primitive people. <laughs> and it, there's something so fundamentally wrong with that. It really makes me angry. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just, oh, America, America. Yeah. It's the same way we got most of our land here. You know, it's the- Absolutely, yeah. It's manifest destiny. We're going to take your cattle and we're going to grow corn here. But anyway, so- Well, yeah, and and, you know, and if they could, they would. Yeah, yeah. And the behavior that's being, and now it's gotten to the point where unfortunately, and it it may be a fringe element of it, but there's enough of it that it's really disturbing of people around the world in other developed countries that are attacking butcher shops yes. that are walking in and interfering with people's places of business in their own free choice that are, you know, even in Whole Foods in Berkeley, they go in there, they're splashing fake blood on products that are there to be sold wow. to the public lying down in their aisleways, blocking the consumers from having their stuff because they think they have the right to violate private property because they think they're right. Correct. In fact, I wrote about that and somebody on Facebook says, well, this generation doesn't believe in private property. <laughs> yeah, right. And I said, well, I'm thinking in my head, well, if that's true, what about when I break into their apartment and take their computer? Yes. You know, you, it's, it's unless it's me. <laughs> right. <laughs> unless it's my private property. Yeah. The, the hypocrisy is in this. It's it's just it's that well all right so I guess it's gotten rather sad. Uh, well, on the flip side of this, let's uh, on a positive note, right? Let's end on a positive note. Yes, yeah. there are people like Mr. C.J. Hunt, who I look up to and admire very much, who are creating projects like these and creating actual change in the world through exposing and revealing truths. And bringing this information to people's attention. So based on where you're at now, I just want to tell everyone, all the Clovis listeners, anybody who might hear this podcast, 
I want them to get in touch with you. First of all, you got to talk to CJ, like they need to talk to you. And how can they get involved if they're listening to this and the negative aspects of this episode, and they're feeling angry, and they want to do something about it? How do they how do they work with you? Well, I think the easiest thing if they're going to send an email is to go to CJ Hunt Reports, okay. which will roll into the perfect human diet too, okay. <laughs> in your URL. And, you know, they have the little mail app thing. that <laughs> little contact form, yeah. The little three bars, it'll say send it, to, send it to that old guy that doesn't understand. <laughs> uh, you know, and they can write that way. There uh, is a link there that goes to the project itself if they want to become one of the financial backers. Because, you know, documentary filmmaking, it's real documentary filmmaking is come falls under the category of art yes. and philanthropy. And, you know, it's that unless you are a Bill Gates kind of person or somebody with a deep, really deep pocket, you can't just wander out willy nilly and make these things. Right. And even though in the grand scheme of things, they're not a, they're less expensive than a 30 second national commercial, you know, mm -hmm. $250,000 sounds like a lot of money to most people still, yes. but it's, that's, that's what it takes to get one of these things done at a level of quality that anyone will pay attention to. Sure. And then, as you say, you have, you have to get it out. So if they want to contact us, they should, could go to the website. If they want to contribute, there's a button there to contribute, or they can go to dispellingthelies.com. Now, the thing that, and as you say, and as we started to say 30 minutes ago and lost track of, <laughs> is how do you get it out there and get people to share it? It's, it can only come from people like you. Yeah. That, that can see the... the the trees, you know, see the forest for the trees or vice versa, mm -hmm. is that, that there's something else there we really need to pay attention to and we really need to know and it's going to help us all and it's going to serve us all. Um, and sometimes these kinds of projects are, are not just passion projects uh, from someone who's already doing something else. Sometimes they're investigative journalism and a documentary type of thing that really needs help yeah. for people to, to happen. And to get out there and help more people. So um, so that's really kind of the nut and shell of it is. And then of course, like everything now, is to please share. Share the idea. Yes. You know, share what you heard, you know, share Justin's um, podcast here and all the work that he's doing. But you can we need the same thing. It's like tell people this is really a worthwhile project and we don't want it to take 10 years <laughs> to happen. Yeah. We want to we want to get out there. And I, and I, and as I've said, I'm very grateful to Clovis and Justin and his family for being the major supporters yes. of getting this puppy off the ground. And, um, you know, without you, and, and I'm very great. I'm just as grateful for the, you know, 200 people that have gone in and put in between $5 and $50. Of course. You know, cause all, all of it's necessary. Um, yeah. It's just that we can start shooting thanks to folks like Justin and, um, and start getting it in the can. So I'm kind of wandering on with that, but no, it's, it's beautiful. Well, and, and the other thing too, that I want to remind people is, so there's cjhuntreports.com. There's dispellingthelies.com. Uh, you're still quite active on Twitter. There's email, all those things. But the other thing that I want to touch on here is support this project. The project is going to happen. Clovis is behind it. Other people are going to get behind it. But in the meantime, go watch the perfect human diet. Watch it on Amazon, buy it on iTunes, follow CJ, interact with CJ, because what I've noticed that's quite fun is every now and then your film will just pop up again in the top five on iTunes or like it just all of a sudden ranks highly again. And that's so beautiful to watch. And it's only going to bring more exposure to you and your content, you know? Well, yeah. And I, I 
in fact, the last time it happened, it's been up into the top 10 and mm -hmm. maybe even the top five on iTunes eight times, I think, since it came yeah, out. Officially. It just cycles back, you know? Yeah. Well, because people are interested in the subject and there's certain times of year that more people go after it, I guess. And um, in fact, this last time, you know, I'm here doing stuff and working on the project and my, my distributor says, hey, CJ, you're number two. Whoa. <laughs> I said, what? That's great, this is, man. You know, that, this is 2018. That was five years ago. Wow. And it's, and it's because you know, these uh, nicely enough, this, the information is timeless. Yeah. It's all still the same. It's all valid. I, you know, I wrote the Max Planck people and they said, well, nothing's changed. We keep finding the same stuff. Yeah. It's evergreen, man. Yeah. And I think well, truth is truth, CJ. You know, it's like, that's what it is. It doesn't change. It's not this pliable thing of like, well, in 2019, human food is different. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> I like the way you do those voices, though. Yeah, well, thank you. I try to be dramatic, you know? <laughs> I'm a performer. Well, no, it works. We're, we're going to have to shoot you doing some of that. That's for sure. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, yeah, I, and you're right. It's just that there, there is a lot of things that are just facts. They're no longer theories. Mm -hmm. They're not somebody's opinion. They're fact. Right. And if you want to, you know, there's an opportunity to see that without somebody manipulating you into trying to sell you on the idea. Of right. You know, it's just, uh, and I'm so, I'm just really happy that it's been able to help so many people. And of course, it would be great for it to help more. Yes, absolutely. And that's what we got to work on. And it, it helped me. I built a whole company around it, man. I'm telling you, I, I say this all the time. There would be no Clovis without the perfect human diet, without CJ Hunt. So I guess let's wrap it up on that positive note. Man. Yeah. You knocked my socks off when you told me that it's like, Oh, you know, who knew, I know, you know, I make this little documentary and then, and it spawned these other things that you could just never know. You can no. And that, and that's, I want people to understand that too, is what if CJ just decided back in 2006, I think when you started researching really for the film, right? It was like a six year project or something. So what if you had just decided, eh, not really worth the effort. There, there wouldn't be a Clovis. So that's what I try to tell people is it's, it's just, I want them to make an effort. So go watch The Perfect Human Diet. Go to cjhuntreports.com. Go to Dispelling the Lies. Get involved in this thing. Clovis, as a community, we're going to push it out. We're going to share it as much as we can. Share this episode. And CJ, again, thank you so much, brother. Thank you for everything you've done for me, all my listeners, everything, man. I can't thank you enough. Thank you, Justin. Great to be here. We'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Bye-bye. What's up, everybody? Justin here again. Just giving you a quick reminder to please go check out cjhuntreports.com and learn as much as you can about the first film, The Perfect Human Diet, and the new film, The Perfect Human Diet 2, Dispelling the Lies. I urge you to find it in your heart to get involved with this film, contribute whatever you can. Every single dollar helps to get this project made. I will also have full show notes for you at clovis.show, clovis.show slash cj, clovis.show slash cj, where I will provide a direct link to donate to this film using my unique link for doing so. So thank you so much for listening. Please, please, please help us get this message out by contributing to CJ's film. The Perfect Human Diet 2, Dispelling the Lies. Thank you so much. Oh, I gotta go.